वसुदेवसुतमचाणुरमर्दनम देवकनंदम कृष्ण वंदे जगद्गु So in the Bhagavad Gita, we were on the sixth. We had started the sixth chapter, and uh, before I proceed, let me start the recording. So before we proceed with the sixth chapter, I just like to add a cheerful note on suffering. This is with regard to. You know, the enormous amount of distress and suffering that's going on in the world especially in india now and what is the role if any of spirituality or philosophy in all of this um you know people ask that uh, is this the time for philosophy or spirituality um you know when people are uh, they need Uh, medical treatment or they are gasping for breath so yes and no it is true that swami vivekananda himself said it is an insult to a starving man to teach him metaphysics so you have to give immediate relief to a person who is suffering but ultimately spirituality is the ultimate antidote to suffering um it is not that the great spiritual teachers masters were heartless rather they felt much more keenly than all of us and that's why they searched for a real solution to suffering something that was that would be profound deep and lasting people ask me that um, so do you see that many people have become interested in spirituality in this time of suffering and the answer there is to that is little difficult yes they have Uh, but the interest is of two kinds and that tells you something about the nature of uh, religion and spirituality the interest is of two kinds one kind most people i suspect is that um we are now anxious and scared and unhappy and if by the grace of god things would go back to the way they were you know become normal we can carry on with our lives we want to return to that so most people would be happy with that and there is there is a another group who would be who would think deeper that what is meant by this suffering going back to normal is not going back to the normal itself was not normal it was always there is the root of suffering is always there the great spiritual teachers masters like the buddha they noted that they are they feel more deeply they um feel the suffering of all even in times of what we would call normal times they know that normal times are so called normal times are not normal times all of normal human life is also infected with unhappiness suffering um and that's why they looked for a solution to that uh, to any deep or lasting solution and the solution they found buddha and others also was spirituality so some of the people who become interested in spirituality during this time they have this deeper interest which will last even things will get back to no- normal some sort of normal but after this also they will retain their interest the larger number of people who have become interested in religion and spirituality will unfortunately probably lose that interest as quickly as they have got it, uh, it it's um, that's the way it is there the literature goes to show that in times of pandemics you know like mass suffering there is an increased interest in religion but that goes away once the uh, the cause of that suffering diminishes so that's the way it is um long before the buddha there was kapila swami vivekananda calls kapila the first human the first philosopher of the human race the sage kapila the originator of sankhya philosophy in fact bhagavan buddha himself says that among the things that he learned from his teachers on his way to enlightenment on his journey in spiritual journey um 
his account of what he learned from teachers like Alara Kalama and Uddala Karamaputta, there's some kind of proto-sankhya, proto-yoga there, which later he incorporated in his own teachings. The original teachings of the Sankhya philosophers are lost to us. The most ancient text that we can get our hands on is a book called the Sankhya Karika. The Sankhya Sutras, we have it, but that's a later reconstruction. Kapila's original Sankhya Sutras, um, it's doubtful whether they are there. So the Sankhya Karika, um, that text is... uh, Nowadays, if you would want, if you want to study Sankhya philosophy, the most ancient, reliable text you could get your hands on would probably be the Sankhya Karika. At least that's how it is introduced. Sankhya system is introduced to people who study Indian philosophy. So, in the Sankhya Karika, there's a point to all this. Why I'm leading, what I'm leading up to. Uh, in the Sankhya Karika, the first verse of this very ancient text. How ancient? I'll tell you. There is a Chinese translation of the Sankhya Karika with, available, which is 1500 years old, 15 or 1600 years old. So it was already popular. It was popularized through Buddhism. Um, and it was popularized through Tibet, China and other places. So multiple translations are available. Um, so in the Sankhya Karika, the author, Ishwar Krishna, he writes these verses on Sankhya philosophy. The first verse is important for us. It gives us an argument for spirituality. What is spirituality? Why do we need it in relation to suffering? So I'll read out the first verse today before we go into, we'll go get back to the Gita. But we'll, this is today's look at the foundations of spiritual search. Why at all are we engaged in it? What is this project that we are engaged in? What are we trying to do? Um, so that you know, sort of re-examining our, the basis of our, of our search uh, from the perspective of suffering. So here it is. This is, um, I'm reading out from Sankhya Karika, the first verse, Ishwara Krishna. Um, there he says, Dukkhatraya abhighatad jignasa tad apaghata ke hetau Drishte sapartha chet na ekanta atyanto abhavat. Assaulted, assaulted by the threefold sorrow, there arises within us an inquiry about the means of overcoming sorrow. If you, if you object that there are um, available means, worldly means of overcoming sorrow, the answer is so. so meaning that you don't need a spiritual solution. So the answer is no, because these worldly means lack certainty and finality. Okay, sort of self-explanatory, but we'll take a look at it. Um, He says that uh, there is suffering in this world, and he divides it into three kinds of suffering, uh, the uh, adhyatmika, adhibhautika, and adhidaivika. So adhyatmika means the suffering that comes from one's own body and mind. Notice that ultimately all suffering must come to the mind. If I don't feel that suffering, if I am in uh, in deep sleep or in coma or something like that, then I won't feel the suffering. But So ultimately to feel suffering, it must all come to my mind. But the causes of some, some kind of suffering may be external. The causes of some kind of suffering may be in the body and the causes of some kind of suffering may be in the mind itself. So you it is... Um, logical to make a distinction of different kinds of suffering because their roots may lie in different places. Now, um, Adhyatmika means the suffering caused by my body-mind. So disease in the body, that is a prime source of suffering. And it could be disease in the mind, the, the mental illness. These are sources of suffering. Then Adi Bhautika means the suffering caused by other beings. So in the old commentaries, they are interesting, caused by lions and tigers and mosquitoes. So you can imagine being in India, these would be serious problems, lions and tigers and mosquitoes. None of them are around here, but you can imagine there's some uh, suffering caused by other beings, maybe the annoying neighbor or something like that. Uh, Right now, my neighbor here has started learning music, so I can understand the suffering caused by... uh, uh, yeah, by other beings, other living beings. 
and then there's suffering caused by natural causes so um, an earthquake uh, or you know like a lot of heat or a lot of cold tremendous cold i sort of suspect something like the covid the pandemic in those days in ancient times they would have seen it as a kind of natural suffering nowadays we know it is caused by a living being a virus so we would probably say it is caused by another living being i guess the ancients would have thought that it is a uh, natural suffering a natural disaster and it is true a virus a pandemic is somewhere on the margins between caused by other living being and caused by, uh, like a natural disaster so assaulted by these three kinds of suffering we seek for a solution to this suffering jigyasa an inquiry arises among uh, among us how do we overcome suffering and then he himself the author raises this objection possible objection that there are solutions look around you and the commentators on these verses give nice solutions you know like if you're feeling sick go to the pharmacy get medicine you're feeling so that's a physical illness you, you get medicine for that um get vaccinated uh, if you are feeling bored you can watch tv if you are if there are uh, problems caused by other people there are courts and uh, police and all to take care of you and there are natural disasters then it says that uh, you can go take refuge in shelters and you can um, consult astrologers and uh, offer sacrifices to the gods and so what not so there are solutions there's a whole range of solutions available to you and one of the commentators says uh, he quotes an old saying that if honey is available in your backyard why journey to the mountain to collect you know the wild honey from the from the uh, honey bees or something so which means if the solution is available at hand why not use this solution and then he gives the answer um, his reply to that why all these solutions don't work and this is really important this is this is an argument for spirituality and one should consider it uh, he says atyanta ekanta bhavat there is no uh certainty about these solutions they may work they may not work and even if they do work there is no finality about them the same problem may arise or another problem will arise see uh, here it is interesting to note that even religion the common mass religion falls among these solutions if you see the distressing visuals of people weeping and i can i saw on uh, the video people are, so many people are actually praying for their near and dear ones and to get some relief and notice in all that prayer some of it works some of it does not work i'm not saying that prayer does not work it does work but one thing i could never understand was that even when prayer does work it's not final it, it for no case ever in history has anybody escaped death by praying to god save me from death no physical death is inevitable and um, uh, uh, inescapable swami vivekananda was very blunt on that point he said kings die and paupers die the learned die and the ignorant die saints die and sinners die everyone dies death comes for everybody if if you pray it might work for a moment uh, at this point death may pass over uh, me or my near and dear ones but it will come back for everybody avatars enlightened persons have died physical physical death comes for everybody so it's not um, none, it's uh, even religion praying to god it, i never understood quite understood how it is a solution it can be a temporary solution it's not a final solution at all um, and it's not a certain solution ekanta ekanta means absolutely certain result so many people are praying whether it's a worldly solution like a medicine and medical care or a religious solution like praying to god so many people are praying some of them get answers some of them it works for some and some some it does not work there's no certainty that it will work these are hard truths and one must consider this then only this question about spirituality arises is there a real solution to all of this an ultimate lasting profound solution not just patchwork um, 
you know, like some problem is there, just patch it up. It'll come back again in a worse form, but somehow you carry on. No, so there, there has to be this real deep permanent solution to all of these problems. Is it possible? If you believe it is possible, the claim is that it is possible, and one must believe in this. I'll tell you why. I heard this sadhu, very touching. Before starting his talk, it was in Hindi. Before starting his talk, he says, I will ask you all a question. Ask yourselves, do you really believe that spirituality is possible? Do you believe there are spiritual people today? Do you believe that God can be experienced? Do you believe that one can be holy in this life? And overcome suffering in this life? Are there such people? Are there such experiences? And then he says, the question is subtle. He says that um, if you don't believe this, I don't believe there's any genuinely spiritual person. If there's no other genuinely spiritual person, the implied meaning, the subconscious meaning of this kind of thinking is to my own mind. Look, it, this, has, this is no skin of the back of spiritual people who do exist. It's nothing to them. We are the losers if we, if we don't believe in that. How we are the losers, that Swami pointed out. The moment, I, if, if I don't believe that spirituality is possible, I don't believe that really holy people exist, I don't believe that anybody is actually seeing God, then the only loser, I am the loser. How? The, imp, the subtle message goes to my subconscious. If there is no really no spiritual person, how can I expect to be spiritual? If there is nobody spiritual in the world, there is no question of I becoming spiritual. If nobody has really seen God in this world right now, then what are the chances that I have, I'll be the one who is going to see God? You see, it's a kind of it's the most fundamental kind of self-sabotaging. It cripples our spirituality, and it is the condition of large numbers of people. He put it in Hindi. The Swami was giving a talk. He put it in Hindi. He said, "Koi avalamban nahi reh jata hai, koi aadhar nahi reh jata hai. There is no foundation left for you." You have, you have ruined yourself if you think in this way. So the fact is, spirituality is possible. There are holy people, there are enlightened people even living today. And it is therefore possible for all of us. That is the beginning. Heinrich Zimmer, the Indologist, he said the philosophies of India, they seem to talk about suffering, and uh, but he says they are profoundly uh, optimistic. They are not pessimistic because they believe that a real solution is at hand, that one can actually uh, overcome suffering. So, um, I mean, I just read out one sentence at the beginning. So this book is um, the Sankhya Karika of Ishwara Krishna, pretty old, pretty ancient. Uh, the Sankhya system itself is older than Buddha. I don't know if this book is older than, but this book is probably post-Buddhistic. And then there's a commentary, beautiful commentary written by, Sank, by Vachaspati Mishra. This commentary is called Sankhya Tattva Kaumudi, the moonlight of the essential truths of the Sankhya system. So the commentary, the first sentence of the commentary, I'll just read out to you and see how these ancients thought about the very foundation of spiritual life and suffering. So he says, in commenting on this words, evam hi shastra vishaya na jigyasya. So suppose you say that there's no need of inquiring into spirituality. Why? Yadi dukkham nama jagati nasyat. If there was no such thing in courts like sorrow in this world, suppose there's no sorrow in this world, then there would be no question of inquiring into spirituality. Um, sadva na jihasitam. But suppose there is sorrow, and, and there is no desire to get rid of sorrow. Even then, there would be no inquiry into spiritual life. Look at the logical steps. No sorrow, no importance of spirituality. There is sorrow, but no effort to get rid of it. Again, no interest in spirituality. Jihasitam va ashakyam samuchedam. You desire to get rid of sorrow, but it's not possible. Then also there will be no interest in spirituality. Ashakya samuchedata chadvidha. Why would it be impossible to get rid of suffering? He says there might be two reasons why it maybe it's impossible to get rid of suffering. Dukkhasya um, nityatvat. Maybe suffering is a permanent condition of life. 
Who knows? Many people believe that. This is what we have got. You make the best of it. Uh, what make hay while sun shines? Something like that, yes. So, um, yellow, you live only once. Why you yellow? So, suffering is permanent, it's a given. There's nothing you can do about it. That's one uh, objection to spirituality. And here is the crux. Or maybe we just don't know the way to do it. There is a way to do, come out of suffering. We don't know the, the way. Um, then he goes on to say, Shakya samuchedatve apicha shastra vishayasya gyanasya upaya gyanasya anupayatvat. So, um, he says, suppose it is possible to overcome suffering, but spirituality is not the way. The spirituality taught by your scriptures, your text, is that's not the way to overcome suffering. Sukarasya anya upayasya, sukarasya upayantarasya sadbhavat. Much easier and better ways of overcoming suffering are present, which are the worldly ways of overcoming suffering. You take a pill, watch uh, movies, and uh, you know, uh, you take all the worldly ways of dealing with suffering, or even the conventionally religious ways of dealing with suffering. I pray, I believe in God, God's going to protect me, and I carry on with my usual life. All of these, these are this is the first sentence, this is the opening theme. These are objections against spirituality. That what trips us over in our search, in our spiritual search, which what stops us. And this is this is very profound. I mean, in the sense that that's why large numbers of people in the world today uh, express no interest in spirituality or they they stop short of committing to any kind of spiritual life. Um the Buddha, so he, his whole teaching begins with the, with the fact that there is suffering. And uh, I mentioned somewhere, one of the Tibetan philosophers, Tsongkhapa, great Tibetan master, he classifies suffering in this way. And he, he says that, yeah, there are these um, evident sources of suffering. Janma, Mrityu, Jara, Vyadhi, birth and uh, death and disease. Uh, and old age. So these are sources of suffering. And then he says you can collapse them all together into two kinds. One is contact with what you don't want and the other one is separation from what you want. So the contact with the undesired, COVID, I don't want that contact, but that's, that's suffering. Or loss of um, somebody or something which you value, that is suffering. Then he goes on to further to say that all of that also can be collapsed into one cause of suffering. And he says that is change. Continuous change. Everything is in flux and that leads to suffering. Why would change be suffering? It's a subtle point. Change is suffering because um, our desired setup, this is the amount of money I want, this is the kind of health I want, this is, these are the um, people around me I want, these are, um, you know, the place, this is the place I want to stay. This is the, I set up my uh, physical, financial, relationships, health, all of that. These are the factors, these are the variables, and I want them all at this level. So that level, if, even if it's possible to attain it, because everything is subject to change, the moment you attain it, next moment it will change. And what it will change into will not be satisfactory. Therefore, change always leads to dissatisfaction. And then he makes an important point in that uh, Sankhapa. He says, even change is not the cause of suffering. Notice how he is, he is narrowing down, he's focusing, digging deep into this concept. First of all, the most obvious sources of suffering, sickness, old age, and death. Then he narrows it down to contact with unpleasant and uh, dissociation with what is pleasant. Then he narrows it down further to change. And then finally he says, even change is not the cause of suffering. What is the cause of suffering? He says ignorance. Our ignorance of the real nature of things, what we are and what this world is. Because notice, uh, Buddha also remained in the midst of change. 
Buddha also faced old age and disease and death. The Buddha also remained, uh, came into contact with what was pleasant and uh, or, or came into contact with what was unpleasant and lost contact with what was pleasant. And the Buddha also suffered change, it was in the middle of change. And yet, in the middle of all the causes of suffering, the Buddha had no suffering. He claimed to have overcome suffering. So what is it that ultimately causes suffering? Ignorance. Ignorance, of course, exactly how, ignorance about what and what is the solution, little difference is there in the different philosophies. But ignorance is ultimately, uh, it is to blame. Our lack of understanding about what we are and what this world is. I've shared with you that interesting story about the Buddha. When a monk came and asked him, that a Buddhist monk, that master, you had told us that your teaching is to go take us beyond suffering. And suffering is due to old age and disease and death. But notice, we monks are also getting old and we are getting diseased and we are dying. So how have we gone beyond suffering? The other people who are not Buddhists, they are getting old, they have disease and they have death. And we, your followers, loyal followers, we are also getting old, we also fall sick, we are also suffering. So we have not gone beyond suffering. You said you would take it. So it's a consumer complaint. Um, then the Buddha said that the nature of suffering is like these two arrows, like a man hit by one arrow. Imagine the pain and shock. And immediately hit by a second arrow. Imagine the, the, the terrible trauma and the shock of being hit by a second arrow immediately. The first arrow is what the world throws at us. Old age, disease, death. That's the first arrow. And it does cause suffering. The second arrow is our reaction to it. Our reaction to what is happening to the world and to us. And the Buddha said, the real suffering, most of our suffering comes at that level because of that second arrow. And what I teach you is the way to overcome that, the pain and the shock caused by that second arrow. About the first arrow, I cannot do anything because that, that is the very nature of, of life, of samsara itself. If you are embodied, physical, uh, if you're a physical being, and then you will be subject to physical nature. But huge difference is made in our reaction to it. And we can actually see this in the lives of saints, in the lives of people we consider to be enlightened beings. How there is a huge distinction, a difference in the way they react to old age, they react to sickness, they react to um, you know, being alone in the world, physical, mental, financial, what kind of problems, how they react and how the rest of us react. And you see the reaction, our reaction is suffering. And the reaction of the enlightened ones, of truly spiritually advanced ones, they show how they have gone beyond suffering. So the difference is here between the enlightened and not enlightened. The enlightened means the ones with spiritual knowledge and the ones without spiritual knowledge. This is the real gift of spirituality. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way that the three friends who were going and then uh, they saw this wall, a uh, big wall, and they wanted to know what was on the other side of the wall. And with great difficulty, they climbed over the wall and one of them, they saw there's a, something they saw. And that person danced in delight on top of the wall and then jumped over on the other side. The other two friends were, of course, curious. The second one climbed up and he too saw something and which made him dance in delight and jump over. The third one thought, what's going on? And then he... Uh, climbed up and he saw this festivity going on on the other side. Wonderful. And he was he too was about to jump over to the other side. Then he realized, what about the poor people in the village? Uh, who will tell them about this festivity, this mart of joy? So he turned back and he went back to tell people about it. So this, the spiritual masters who tell us about it, this is the knowledge that they're sharing. That there is a way. There is actually a way of uh, overcoming suffering deeply and profoundly and finally not in the worldly sense which is not final and not certain not even in the conventionally religious sense see the conventionally religion sense don't knock it it's a great great support until you are enlightened until you are spiritually advanced the conventionally religious sense of taking support from god is a great great support in spiritual life sri krishna himself clearly says in the bhagavad gita he will say that my devotees are of four types Artha, Jigyasu, Artharthi, Gyanicha. Artha, the distressed one. So 
suffering and physically in covid and what not can they be devotees of god krishna says of course they are devotees certainly and i will take care of them and then those who are not suffering but they want something they have desires in the world they too become devotees of god but remember they are devotees not for the sake of god ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country the other way around ask not what you can do for god what god can do for you so god can take care of my suffering god can give me fulfill my desires and god does that to the extent that it will increase your faith in god it will increase your faith in religion and spirituality so they are also devotees but krishna makes it clear their path to spiritual life is a long drawn process it will come slowly to to spirituality but the faster ones are the enquirers who are not in suffering who are not actually here because they want something but they want to know and they want to they are inquiring does god exist can i see god and that is the common or at least um, god realization or self realization whichever way you put it that is the common search of all spirituality of all higher religion okay that's the rant now we'll get back into the gita itself and the bhagavad gita is a book par excellence of this kind of uh, spirituality not of conventional religion as such or even and certainly not of worldly means all right in the bhagavad gita sixth chapter which is on meditation but before teaching about meditation sri, uh, sri krishna has started anashrita karma phalam karyam karma karoti ya ड्यूटीज like uh, as a worship of god karyam karma that which is to be done the person does that such a person is is a monk is a sanyasi such a person is a yogi here yogi in the sense of a meditator sanyasi in the sense of a um, renouncer non iragni nacha kriya not the one who has actually given up activities uh, niragni means uh, the sacrificial fire so activities are of two kinds one is worldly activities you have your job you have your, your family and all of that and you have got certain religious activities now a person a monk who is a renouncer of the activities as such would give up worldly activities and also the ritualistic religious activities i remember once i was going to a temple in gangotri there is a temple of ganga so one priest looked at me and he said mahatma ji aap yahan kya kar rahe hain what are you doing here swami so meaning thereby that it is meant for ritualistic performances uh, you have your vedanta and your meditation so the second verse continuing the topic of karma yoga yam sanyasam iti praho yogam tam vidhi pandava nahi asanyasta sankalpo yogi bhavati kashchana know that which is extolled as sanyasa to be yoga o pandava arjuna verily no one becomes a yogi without renouncing desire for the fruit of action that which is called sanyasa monasticism becoming a monk that is called that itself is called yoga or karma yoga krishna says that but it's paradoxical if you think about it i mentioned this last time why it's why is it paradoxical it's a it's a strange statement to make because sanyasa literally means giving up um so actually giving up possessions actually giving up activities putting on uh, an orange dress and heading off into the mountains so that is becoming a monk you don't have relatives or family you don't have money possessions you don't hold a job um you are alone or in a monastic community and your whole goal is god realization and you are off maybe to an ashram to the forest or to the mountains or whatever on the other hand 
the karma yogi is a person who is actually working. So like Arjuna may be engaged in some terrible action like the war itself or you may be actually holding a job, raising a family, uh, you know, carrying on a business. You, are, you have not given up the activities, whether at home or, or in your um, profession. So one has given up the activities, one has not given up the activities, how can they be the same? He says that which is monasticism, that itself is karma yoga, Krishna says. So on purpose, it's, uh, if you understand that kind of language, it, it uh, draws your attention. We are, we are like, what did you say just now? Giving up all the actions and not giving up the actions is the same. How? How is this possible? And the answer he gives in the uh, second line. Um, he says, Nahi asannasta sankalpo yogi bhavati kaschana. He says, Really to be a monk or to be a karma yogi is to give up. See the word sannyasa. Nyasa means to give up. Samyak nyasa. To totally give up. To totally renounce. That's, the, that's how you derive the word sannyasa. Although there is a positive way of deriving it also, which is uh, sati paramatmani um, sati par- paramatmani adhare nyasam. Uh, adhishthane nyasam. So, in sat, in pure being, in paramatman, in brahman, in the in this the ground of the universe to establish yourself in that that is also sannyasa the two positive and negative way of putting it the negative way of putting it is giving up samyak rupe nyasa to give up everything uh, all connection worldly and otherworldly connections worldly means this worldly and otherworldly means trying to attain heaven giving up all those options that is sannyasa the other the positive interpretation is um, sati paramatmani um, in, in the Adhishthane to uh, Sati means in Sat, in pure being Paramatma means in, in Brahman Adhishthana means in the ground of this universe which is existence itself to establish yourself in that Aham Brahmasmi knowledge that is also Sanyasa but anyway um, how can actually giving up activities and not giving up activities be the same thing Sri Krishna says that there is something common to them. There's an, the essence of karma yoga and the essence of sannyasa is the same thing. What is that? He says, sankalpa nyasa, sannyasa, to give up sankalpas. What is this sankalpas? And what is, why is it the essence of karma yoga and sannyasa? Giving up sankalpa is this. Um, desire is born of sankalpa. What is sankalpa? Let me just explain a little bit and then we'll see what Krishna means. Sankalpa means um, samyak kalpana. That means to take up an object and you know think well of it. This is nice. I want this. This is the way it should be for me. It could be a person, it could be an object, you know, like a gadget or anything desirable in the world to put to see the desirability of those things. That is um, that is sankalpa. And this sankalpa gives rise to karma, desire. To feel that an object is nice, worth having, worth pursuing, accumulating. You might say, what's wrong with that? Everything is wrong with that. There is no such thing in this world. No form, no sound, rupa, rasa, gandhasparsha, no touch, no fragrance, no taste. uh, Which is not ultimately a source of disappointment. If I want the things in the world, people in the world, activities in the world are going to give me fulfillment, then I am bound to be disappointed. The world is not meant to fulfill our individual desires. You're putting too much of a load of expectations on the world. They are, like Sri Krishna says, a range of zeros. Put them all together, still zero. They cannot fulfill us. And they are associated with, they means objects in the world, whatever you see in the world. They are associated with so many defects, so many problems. They have a beginning and an end. They create addictions. Whatever it is, any kind of pleasure in the world. It could be sense pleasures, it could be the pleasure of having more money or power, whatever it is. It creates addictions, it is uh, you, you know, like diminishing marginal utility. 
the more, more you have of it, the less utility you keep getting from every additional unit of consumption. So the, every object in the world is subject to these problems. It has these limitations. Doshadrishti. You see the faults in, um, in trying to be happy depending on things in the world. And yet we do that. This is the root of desire. We think these things are desirable in the world and I must have them. And uh, then comes karma. From sankalpa comes karma, desire. Many things keep, you know, the sadhus put it nicely in Hindi, they keep uh, floating up to the surface of the mind. And some of these things attract our attention. Certain projects, plans to do uh, throughout the day. They keep attracting our attention. And they are endless distractions from spiritual life. And we chase them. We want, it generates karma, desire. And as we pursue karma, we are trapped in samsara. This sankalpa, which gives rise to karma, this the yogi, karma yogi has to give up and sannyasi has to give up. A sannyasi who gives up the world, external world, without giving up the sankalpa is asking for trouble. What will happen? The sannyasi will be trapped. If the sannyasi gives up the world, no money, no job, no people around me. But in the mind, there is this idea, these are nice. It would be nice to have money. It would be nice to have a comfortable house. It would be nice to have people around me. And yet, I have cut off every way of having those things around me. Then you are asking for trouble. Uh, the karma yogi also must give up this sankalpa. Uh, because if work is done through sankalpa, it becomes karma bhoga, not karma yoga. Uh, it becomes a method. Karma becomes a method of fulfilling our individual dis discrete desires. You know, like it's one after another, trying to fulfill a series of desires and trying to get happiness from that. It doesn't work. What does the karma yogi do? The, what does the sannyasi do? The sannyasi gives up the sankalpas and gives up all activity born of the sankalpa, desire and action. Sankalpa, Kama, Karma. Sankalpa, Kama, Karma. First there is Sankalpa in the mind, then there is Kama, desire, and then there is an ac action, activity to fulfill it. The Sannyasi gives up the whole thing. No Sankalpa, no desire, and no action. The Karma Yogi gives up the essential thing, that is the Sankalpa. And the desire born of the Sankalpa, but continues with the action. Continues with the action. What action? The action that has to be done in life. As long as the person is in the midst of society, um, you know, there are people around you, you have some responsibilities, do those, perform those, that, that work, um, discharge your responsibilities in the spirit of worship. You are worshipping the Lord through these activities. Whether it's at jo in your job or at, at home, uh, it becomes a continuous worship of Bhagavan, a continuous worship of the Lord. And it's a wonderful way of living. So, Sri Krishna says, Karma Yogi and the Sannyasi, the one who has given up all the activities and the one who continues the activities, they are the same because at root, if, if the monk is genuine and the Karma Yogi is genuine, both have given up the Sankalpa. Sankalpa Prabhavan Kaman. Sankalpa is the root and it gives birth to um, the desires. Kama means desires. So the root along with the desires, both are given up by the Karma Yogi and by the Sannyasi. Um, in the Mahabharata, there is a verse, Kama Janami Te Moolam, that, Oh desire, I have found out your root. Desire is a big bully. He said, Oh really, you have found out my root. What is my root? Pray tell me. Sankalpa is your root. Sankalpa is your root. And na sankalpa is shyami. I shall not generate any more sankalpas. Then you will disappear. So I have found out your root, O desire. O desire. It is sankalpa. So the karma yogi gives up sankalpas and the sannyasi also gives up sankalpas. Because both give up sankalpas, both are, they are renouncers. And Krishna says they are the same as far as renunciation is considered. One additional point, Shankaracharya also makes this point that uh, if you give up sankalpas, you can meditate. Remember, this chapter is on meditation. And also the meaning of the word yogi can be used in two senses. One is karma yogi, which is the primary sense here. 
and also the dhyana yogi the meditator that's the sense in which it is common to talk about yogis you can meditate better if sankalpas are not there sankalpas are the one which disturb meditation deep meditation is possible when you have given up the sankalpas given up means they may come up in the mind but you are not um, pulled along by them you have made up your mind i am not going to chase sankalpas because i have seen through the sankalpas they given they paint a nice the objects in nice colors attractive colors and then i become interested in them i generate a desire for them and then i'm engaged in one more project and that's a distraction from spiritual life swami vivekananda gave the best formula for karma yogis neither seek nor avoid i said neither seek nor avoid um nahi asanyasta sankalpa yogi bhavati kashchana so without totally giving up sankalpas nobody can become a karma yogi and of course nobody can become a sanyasi even kashchana means whosoever it is suppose somebody has actually formally taken the vows of sanyasa and not given up sankalpas and if you not do not give up sankalpas the desires are inevitable because desires are born of sankalpas so whoever it is that person cannot be a yogi cannot be a karma yogi cannot be a sanyasi cannot be a meditator yogi either then before we go on to the next one let me just quickly see the activity chat yes people are saying that it's important that we discuss this the question of suffering patrick asks is there any record of practices that accompany sankhya along with the philosophy now that's an interesting question normally the answer would be yes the patanjali yoga was a natural uh, companion for sankhya so sankhya philosophy and patanjali yoga philosophy are the same prakriti purusha and patanjali yoga is a whole technology of spiritual practices but even so i think sankhya philosophers would insist that just the sankhya insight that is what is to be aimed at and it's an it's an um it's a philosophical inquiry if you want to meditate upon it and you know have samadhi is very good but uh, at the core it is this philosophical insight i think the sankhya philosophers would insist on that um what is this philosophical insight it's the first step in advaita vedanta we always talk about it and not the body not the mind i am the witness consciousness in fact this sunday also i'll be harping on the same theme i'm not the body not the mind i am this witness consciousness that is the sankhyan insight advaita comes next but sankhyan insight is i am witness consciousness i am sakshi i am not the body i am not the mind i am not the consciousness reflected in the body mind the chidabhasa not even that this sankhyan insight is um, absolutely fundamental i asked a great scholar once um very great scholar of sankhya and vedanta and nyaya um in in calcutta he was a pandit 94 95 years old i said what is the difference between sankhya and advaita and he was hard of hearing so i had to yell at yell the question into his ear i said what's the difference between advaita and sankhya and he just answered a phrase he said drishtir parthakko a difference in point of view he just said it's just a difference in point of view then bill kapila's teachings are given in the bhagavatam i guess that is later yes that's later prabir basu says prarabdha samarpitam that is from um, the manisha panchakam of adi shankaracharya shweta singh says the pain can be a separation from god and it's equally a suffering no it's not equally a suffering not at all the su- separation from god that is called viraha for example like the gopis experience the separation from god that is greater than even the greatest pleasures of the world it is felt as a pain i think it is tulsidas who said even a single drop a tear drop shed 
because you feel the absence of god that is more pleasurable than all the pleasures of the world it's profoundly satisfying it takes you beyond bhavasagar beyond the ocean of transmigration you're blessed if you can cry for god if you cry once for god you are um you are safe now then god will take care of you then rick says so what i mean is that the pain of separation from god is a pain that should be cultivated vira it's not a pain that you would want to give up and by no means rick says is it is it that he doesn't desire the results of actions or rather that he desires them which is why he's performing the action but he doesn't depend upon them because he's fulfilled whether or not the desired results occur so that's not desiring that is not desiring if you perform actions the results are going to come anyway that's um, if arjuna fights the war there's going to be a result you uh, could either either win it or lose it or whatever but then my my goal is no longer the result itself my goal is that i am doing what has to be done and i'm doing it in a spirit of worship um, i'm worshiping the lord through my actions it frees you it frees you for a lot of the ups and downs of life you know how do you react to the world after this from from this perspective one monk he put it so nicely he said the karmi the person who's engaged in the world who acts through sankalpas is at the mercy of what happens in the world is at the mercy of what the world does to him or her so the reaction to the world is always what and the karma yogi's reaction to the world is so what so this is the difference the karma your reaction to the world is always what and the karma yogi's reaction is so what this is the huge uh, difference and it it's really worth making the tra- uh, transition because if 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 i am performing karma and i've got specific desires i want it to be this way and i do not want it to be that way i'll be happy if it happens this way i'll be really unhappy and aggravated if it doesn't happen uh, if it happens the other way then i'm at the mercy of the world but the karma yogi is not at the mercy of the world whatever the ultimate result of my activities i am doing it as a worship of the lord and i am getting the result of it which is purity of mind preparation for a higher spirituality of vedanta or meditation or whatever um i was just reading this is something that was recorded by swami chetanananda ji um swami shivananda was the president of our order at that time in the 1920s in belurmat so he told one monk to work to do some to be engaged in work and the monk rather grandly replied god realization is the goal of human life not work and so shivananda was he he was very annoyed he said swami vivekananda has himself said by doing work for sri ramakrishna you will attain chitta shuddhi and your moksha your mukti is guaranteed do you think swami vivekananda was a fraud so work that is karma yoga the work that you do for the lord that has no downside to it there's no downside to it in the bible also jesus christ says come unto me ye that are heavily laden uh, so you are burdened by the world and the worldly care worldly cares come to me i'll relieve you of that burden but then he says i will yoke you to i will put a burden on you but my yoke is light it is deeply fulfilling and transformative and helpful in our lives and does no harm to us at all it always elevates us what work done as worship then krishnamurti says krishnamurti vishwanathan unfortunately many sincere and lifelong followers of conventional religion do not know that there is a final solution possible through spirit it is true they do not know is it okay to tell our loved ones that the higher solution or should we just hope they will discover it when they are ready it's a difficult one you can tell but you know like missionizing it preaching it doesn't help too much i have seen so many people who in their initial enthusiasm for vedanta go around telling others and then the reaction is nobody is interested 
Yes, nobody is interested. Um, it's good for people to know that such a thing is available, such a thing is there, but more important for their own samskaras. That's why the traditional teaching of Vedanta was you go and seek out Vedanta, you seek out Vedanta, you seek out the teacher and the text. Uh, it's uh, your inquiry. We are not going to come to your house with pamphlets. So, uh, the higher spirituality, you, we must want it. We, should, we have to be ready for it. I remember this tragic incident which happened years ago. A young boy died. Uh, he was a college student from one of our institutions. He died at home in an accident. His parents had come, they were weeping, and the monk uh, was consoling parents. And I was talking to one of the relatives, and I was giving my usual Vedanta talk, you know, ultimately that we are consciousness itself, this body, mind, and re the relationships, who is whose husband, who is whose wife, child. And then another monk caught hold of me and said, what are you doing? You, you, they have lost a child. You are making them lose everything. So they want to know that the child is safe and we are going to go to heaven and be re reunited with uh, our loved ones and that's it. Your, uh, I am pure consciousness and there is no father, mother, uh, husband, wife, child and we are forever beyond suffering. You are taking everything away from them. They have just lost one child. So they want everything to, you know, to be as it is. That's why I said that a large number of people who are interested in religion at this moment may not be particularly interested once things become more comfortable. Um, because that's what they want, that things be a little more comfortable. It's terrible now, let it get easier. That, it's a long drawn process. And I don't know if that answers your question. It's good to say it, but you will see most people will not pay attention until they are ready to pay attention. But it's good to say it because then they know that such a thing is there. Those books are in the house. Uh, we saw people in our own family or in the neighborhood who were deeply spiritual. You're, in fact, um, um, Swami Saradeshanandaji, uh, about whom I was reading in Swami Chetanandaji's recollections, he used to say the uh, best advertisement for spirituality is a spiritual life. By seeing your peace of mind, your holiness, your, uh, your, you, know, you are deeply, deeply happy and peaceful and calm and that pulls people, that attracts people. Can I be like that? It's like a, uh, I call it a, a holy jealousy. <laughs> I remember seeing Swami Bhuteshanandaji, who was the 12th president of our order. I was a young novice. And I would see this 98-year-old monk. And my, sometimes my reaction would be, I want what you have. There is something that you have that is precious beyond everything in this universe. That if, if I could give up everything and get that, then it would still be a bargain. So that is uh, the best advertisement. Anuradha says, what about the sankalpa we do before puja? Yes. So notice the sankalpa that we do before puja in, a, in a ashrams, in our Ramakrishna order. It is sankalpa for um, no, Sri Ramakrishna Preeti Artham, for the um, blessings and the, the pleasure of the Lord. We are not doing it for specific worldly gains. So there, there are rituals which are, most rituals are performed for specific worldly or otherworldly gains. If you are a spiritual seeker, you will perform the same ritual, the puja, without asking for any this worldly or otherworldly gains. Sangeeta is asking, Shweta is asking, is there this inclination to be absorbed in long silent retreats, is it also sankalpa? Well, these are good ones. These are ones which give up sankalpas, which, which cut down sankalpas. So um, don't force yourself, but whatever, suppose the mind is, mind is now, there's a desire to withdraw and be calm and quiet and centered for some time. Definitely do it. All these, these are good um, um, you know, desires which come up in the mind, which take me Godward. 
Sangeeta says, a lot of gurus, even sannyasi gurus, are known to make or take up sankalpa for others, especially in times of sankalpa, means in times of distress. Yes, especially in times of suffering. Yes, uh, one can do that if it's for the welfare of others. It's not a selfish desire. Often pujas are performed for the welfare of the community. So the sankalpa is taken for the welfare of everybody. That's all right. Kiran says, does nishkama karma lead to any results? Well, the most important result is chitta shuddhi, purification of the mind. It, it is foundational for God realization. Are we supposed to dedicate the results to God in karma yoga? Yes, all the time. Rodrigo says, I heard that the recitation of the uh, Pavamana Bhyaroa amounts to meditation. Um, I don't know which one you are talking about, but um, traditionally in the Vedic culture, this Swadhyaya, which we, today we translate as study, but that the original meaning was Vedic recitation. So um, that is a kind of verbal practice. So the spiritual practices can be physical rituals, maybe there, they could be verbal uh, practices and mental practices. So verbal practices are above the, act, the physical, you know, like offering um, ghee or something into the fire. Uh, so higher than that is the chanting with the, with the faculty of speech. And higher than that is meditation. But yes, chanting can lead to absorption and meditation. Tibetan Buddhists, for example, they do a lot of chanting. All right, um, let me stop here. Tomorrow, I must not forget. Oh, Dimitri, you had a question. You have raised hand. Uh, yes, thank you, Swamiji. Uh, I wanted to ask a practical question uh, on the renunciation. How to journey from the mind to the heart? Because I see that, yes, I, I'm, I can make my mind, but then my heart is still not together with my mind. Right. And uh, like I was trying to see, like... I'm, it doesn't seem like if I try to resist myself, it doesn't really work. Like the only successful thing that I found so far is that if I'm lucky to remember the definition of what is what when the desire comes, I only can do is just observe it. Yes. And, and see um, it for what it is. But then it continues to act. You are right. Um, this is an important insight, especially in the path of knowledge at the beginning. Uh, knowledge acts at the level of the mind or the intellect. Desire acts at the level of the heart. And that's why the two do not often go together, at least at the beginning. So I may understand something and I may want, my heart may pull it in a different level altogether. So that is why in the path of jnana, in the path of uh, knowledge, bhakti is important because bhakti starts working at the level of the heart. One powerful way of... Uh, bringing desires under control, is to see the paltriness of worldly desires. It has never satisfied me till now. It has always disappointed me till now. And the, the deeply profound uh, satisfaction that comes from devotion to God, bhakti. So bhakti acts at the level of the heart. It pulls you, connects you with God. The same desires which were scattered in the world in a hundred different channels, it's the same force. You collect it and you direct it towards, towards the Lord, towards God, at the level of emotion and desire. And um, that will be in accordance with jnana, with, with knowledge. Otherwise, jnana and uh, worldly desires will keep pulling in different directions. Alpana? Just a quick one, Swamiji. You mentioned you'll be talking about some topic on Sunday. Uh, will it be available to attend online? Yes, yes. It will be uh, live streamed as usual, the Sunday talks. So oh. there is this Bredarnik um, Upanishad mantra, which was Swami Bhuteshanji's favorite. So I want to give a talk. And then I saw that there's so much material on that. Uh, Vidyaranya in Panchadashi has written the largest chapter in Panchadashi, nearly 300 verses on that one verse from the Bredarnik Upanishad. Um, and so I'll, I'll give maybe four talks or five talks about it. 
So this will be 11 a.m. Uh, yes, Eastern. Eastern time. Got it. Thank you. Each, each Sunday, this Sunday and then the next three Sundays consecutively. Um, tomorrow at eight o'clock, uh, we have a talk by Swami Yogatmanandaji in our monthly um, webinars, you know, the guest lectures. You, I think you may have already got the email. You have got the email. Okay, I see a lot of people nodding their heads. All right. Are the links to the Sunday talks on the website? Yes, they are. Good. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu